Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to let you know I have a free on-demand masterclass called Five Steps to Writing a Novel Without Letting Perfectionism or Procrastination Get in the Way. In this free training, I cover things like where perfectionism comes from, how it's directly linked to procrastination, and what you can do right now to start making real progress with your writing. I also talk about the problem with popular plotting methods and how they can do more harm than good, especially if you're brand new to writing. And last but certainly not least, I share some of the most common mistakes I see writers make so you can avoid them and make this the year you finish your novel. If this sounds like something you're interested in, you can sign up for free at savannagilbo.com forward slash training. One more time, that's savannagilbo.com forward slash training to get your hands on this free masterclass. That was an aha moment when like you see it when you take a a chapter from a book and you, you break it down and you can kind of extrapolate those five elements and you're like, wow. So that was really, really cool. Value shifts were another thing that were like very interesting to learn about and the different genre conventions. Yeah. And those things really come into play. So the specific type of story you are writing has certain value shifts that have to occur. Welcome to the Fiction Writing Made Easy podcast. My name is Savannah Gilbo, and I'm here to help you write a story that works. I want to prove to you that writing a novel doesn't have to be overwhelming. So each week, I'll bring you a brand new episode with simple, actionable, and step-by-step strategies that you can implement in your writing right away. So whether you're brand new to writing or more of a seasoned author looking to improve your craft, this podcast is for you. So pick up a pen and let's get started. In today's episode, I have something super exciting to share with you. I recently sat down for a conversation with a writer named Fern Bernstein to talk about her debut novel called Staunch, the Edies of Grey Gardens. In our conversation, we talk about her writing, editing, and publishing journey, including things like where the idea to write a fictionalized story about the Edies came from, what it was like to write a dual point of view and a dual timeline novel, and so much more. You'll also get to hear Fern talk about what it was like to work with me on her story, and she'll share some of her favorite craft tools and lessons as well. So this is a jam-packed episode with my lovely client, Fern Bernstein, and I'm so excited to share her story with you. But before we get into the conversation, I wanted to read you the back cover copy of her book just to give you some context for what we're going to talk about today. So here's what it says. Grey Gardens, 1972. Little Edie Beale had high hopes of becoming a star, sole companion and caretaker for her mother on a rundown property full of feral animals, tangled overgrowth, and piles of trash, the unmarried 50-something craves a way out. But when she attempts to burn away some of the clutter, the loyal daughter is horrified when the fire department arrives and triggers a slew of code violations and threats of eviction. 1923. Big Edie Beale longed to unleash her voice. Born a gifted soprano, she bristled every time her lawyer husband and her father told her to put her stage ambitions aside and manage their sprawling seaside home and gardens. And when she decided to pursue music despite their judgment, the pampered socialite was left divorced with an empty bank account and a house too large to maintain. Driven to the brink by her mother's resolve to stay in the moldering mansion, until her last breath, little Edie seeks help from their well-connected family. And as a film crew shows up to document the pair's drastic domesticity, Big Edie seizes the chance to speak her piece as Little Edie shines in the spotlight, hoping to secure her dreams of fame. So that's what this story's about. That's what we're going to talk about today. So without further ado, let's dive right into the conversation. 
Hi, Fern. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Savannah. I am so excited to be here on your podcast because I love your podcast and that's how I found you. And um, I think you share so much with your listeners. So I'm really excited to be here with you. Oh, thank you. And we're going to have a lot of fun today because your story is super fun. Your story as a writer, but the story you wrote as well, which just the book you wrote just came out on October 5th. So at this point, that is we're recording on the 27th, which is 22 days ago that your Mm -hmm. book came out. So how do you feel? Uh, Well, I feel hugely relieved, to be honest. Um, It was three years in the making, a lot of hard work and blood, sweat and tears and dealing with cancer diagnosis and treatment in the middle, as you know. Yes. It's a huge sense of accomplishment. And I'm, I definitely want to share that with listeners to don't give up. And, you know, in the middle of writing, you can get really tough in that like muddy middle part, but with, you know, great guidance and support, we can get through. And um, it's a great feeling getting to the other side and hearing from people that have read the book that they liked it and especially fans of the movie. So it really made me feel like we did the EDs good and we really yeah. honored them. And that was very important for me um, when I was writing the book, as you all know. So yeah, it's, it's a huge feeling of accomplishment for, for sure. What a like great it. feeling for sure. Yeah. And so I'm going to read uh, the back cover copy in a second. But before we get there, can you tell us who you are, uh, what kinds of books you write and things like that? And you know, I know you have some special hobbies that you can mention too. <laughs> okay, terrific. So I live on Long Island, which is in the state of New York, and I have a house mid-island, and then I have a, a beautiful small summer house in the town of South Hold, and uh, it's a place where I, I love to go boating. We do fishing and tubing and just, you know, kind of relaxing. It's very beautiful and serene here. And I have three children and a wonderful husband and a beautiful dog named Daisy. She's a Bernadoodle, so if you hear her barking in this interview, please just bear with us. Yeah, she's um, going to chime in maybe from time to time. Will. Yeah, and I love to play the game of Mahjong, and it's a Chinese game that was brought to the United States in the 1920s and became all the rage along with flapper dresses and, you know, pixie haircuts and all that fun stuff. And it's a, a tile game, and it's just a lot of fun. And I actually wrote a book. My first book was a memoir and it's called Mahjong Mondays. And I also host a podcast about Mahjong Mondays and game and learning to play and, um, you know, tips and strategies and just the fun friendships everyone makes around the table. And that was a different experience writing a memoir. And then the book that I currently wrote is, you know, what did we decide on Savannah? Was it women's, I guess, contemporary fiction? Yeah, women's contemporary women's fiction. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was a much different type of book to write, but nonetheless, uh, we got through and, and did it. And I personally love to read, I guess, more biographies and I love to watch documentaries. I like to learn from people's life experiences that really happened. I don't know why that's just very appealing to me. And um, yeah, so I think that's kind of everything in a nutshell. Yep. I think you nailed it. And so (laughs) you mentioned the Edie's before. And so this book is about the Edie's. Do you want to tell listeners just like a quick overview of who these wonderful women are? I would love to. So the Edie's, Big Edie and Little Edie Beale, 
lived in the infamous house named Grey Gardens in East Hampton, New York, in the swanky town of East Hampton, which is on the other fork of Long Island. And a lot of stars and the real estate's really high over there. And so they bought this house in the 1920s. And as life kind of went on, and the mom, whose name was Big Edie, uh, wanted to become well, she was she was a singer. She had studied voice for probably two decades. When she got married, there were some constraints put on her singing. And she decided, I guess, at some point that her singing meant more than, I guess, the constraints she was dealing with. And she started to sing. And her husband was not happy with that. And, you know, being an affluent woman in the 1920s and 30s, it was kind of frowned upon. And she eventually became divorced was left with this big, beautiful house in East Hampton, very close to the water. And the house went into ruin. And kind of like, almost like a a gothic story where, I mean, it really became so run down and she loved cats and the cat population grew in her home to almost 30. And then her daughter eventually moved home with her and they were going to be evicted by the town of East Hampton. And they called upon two very affluent family members Jackie Kennedy Onassis, and Lee Radswell. And these two powerful women came to help their aunt and cousin. And there was a documentary in 1976 titled Grey Gardens, and HBO also did a version of it. There was even a play in the early 2000s. So it's this iconic film and this infamous house that really has a lot of fans. And there's a cult following around the world And I I just kind of stumbled upon the documentary during COVID and dug down the rabbit hole I went and I started to do research and I formulated a story around the 80s. And yeah, we are. Yeah. Which is so fun. And with that great description, I almost don't need to read the back cover copy because you just nailed the summary. (laughs) No, which is great. So So you wrote a story kind of to explore kind of everything you just said, like what happened to these women? What could they have felt like? Because we don't have a lot of answers, right? No. The documentary was shot in six weeks. And it's a specific type of documentary where the documentarians don't really interact too much with their, I don't know what you call them, their characters. Yeah, Uh, subjects. Yeah, their subjects. But it was just so interesting. You kind of like being a a fly on the wall and and watching these two women. And you're so intrigued, like, well, why is this woman wearing a a head covering? She doesn't have any hair under there. And she dresses in these very avant-garde, bizarre outfits. And, you know, the mom is busy singing with this beautiful voice. And it was just very intriguing. And it just, I guess, captured the heart and attention of so many people over the past 50 years, and there's, you know, Facebook groups that center around Grey Gardens and the Edies, and there's a lot of a lot of people out there who really adore them. Yeah. And there's even, so the house still exists, and it's in beautiful yeah. condition, and there's tours of the house, and you're yeah. about to go on one, right? I'm so excited. So <laughs> I also have a podcast that's titled Grey Gardens, and I started it, I guess, maybe a year and a half ago. And, you know, during my research, I felt like, wow, there's so much that I'm I'm learning and I, I really want to share this with other, you know, Grey Garden fans out there. And I've actually had the honor of interviewing Liz Lang, who's the current owner of the home. And she just did a beautiful renovation. 
and the way that she decorated was just incredible. It was very different from the 1920s version of, you know, when it was first, I guess, decorated by the Beals. And there was an owner in between, Sally Quinn, and she had restored everything to its original, I guess, the way that the house looked when back in the 1920s. And so she had like swatches of fabric and she would go and have, you know, fabric created or buy something very similar to that. And she restored the house really to how it looked back in the 1920s. And she uh, really paid homage to the Edies. And yeah, so it was pretty incredible. But I love the way that it looks now. I think Liz Lang nailed it with her just iconic fashion design and her eye. It's, It's beautiful. Yeah, it's so pretty. And I'm just, I'm jealous that you're going to get to go see it in person and take it to her. It's going to be so fun. Yeah, I'm sure you'll post pictures on your Instagram and all that. So we'll we'll make sure to put the link so you guys can all see Fern's tour on her Instagram. But so it's, it's crazy because there's so much history around these women in this house and this time. But then there's also a lot of unanswered questions. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what really happened? How did they really get this way? What were they thinking and feeling during all of this? And so Like, how did that factor into you wanting to write about them? I guess I wanted to give voice to the Edies to kind of fill in the blanks in a respectful way. And I I just felt like there was so much more to the story. And so many of the viewers, you know, left with questions like, well, wow, like, what happened? Like, how did they get like this? Like, how did they live with, you know, 30-something cats and a family of raccoons and I mean, it was, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Things were, you know, like cluttered and, you know, there's pictures online where they had empty cans that were five feet high, these piles of empty cans. And it was, I don't know, it just, it just drew me in and I wanted to, um, I don't know, I just wanted to create a story around them and give my version of what I thought maybe could have happened to them. And like I said earlier, it was very important for me to honor them along the way, and I hope that I did. And I think that it's it's an intriguing story, and, and I wanted to also show the power of women, the connectivity of women and family members, and that in a time of, you know, patriarchy back in the 1920s when everything seemed to be kind of like justified by, you know, the men of, of society, and this is how things are, especially, you know, with the super affluent and Big Edie kicked things around a little, that's for sure. Yeah. And yeah. um, yeah, it just shows like the perspective of a, a woman who just, you know, had a different vision for herself. And um, and I, I really wanted to pursue developing that that character. Yeah. And that's one of the things I really like about both of the Edies, the way that you wrote them and the way that they appear in the films and, the you know, all that stuff is that they're so bold and they're so themselves and society kind of said, we're not sure about the way you are. And they mm-hmm. said, we don't care. We're going to be this way anyway. Yeah. Um, so they're very inspirational. And it's kind of like you said, we see that part of them and then we see the house they live in. And we're like, how do these two things exist at the same time? Like, how are they so bold and wonderful and beautiful and then living like this? So we just have questions, right? The world has questions. Yeah, yeah. That's what your story really explores, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, I tried. And it was, it was, I think, just really special to kind of delve in and to, you know, watch the movie time and time again. And I would even watch the movie and only have the audio on and really listen and like kind of delve into their lives. And I'm kind of curious to even ask you, when your writers are 
you know, working for three years on on their project, <laughs> working with their characters. Like for me, I felt like the Edies were part of my life. You know, do other do other writers feel like that too? I think so. And I feel like anyone listening now is nodding their head because yeah. I think everyone gets to this point where, or at least with me and the writers I work with, we get to a point where like that character wouldn't do that. And it's like, how do we really know because they're made up, right? And mm-hmm. in your case, they're not made up, but we don't yeah. know so much that in a way you kind of have to make them up. So yeah, I think it's totally normal that they become such a figure in your life. And then probably at the end, you were like, I kind of miss them, you know? Yeah. And I do. Yeah, I, I definitely I do. Because I would like talk to them sometimes. And like I'm like driving in the car. I'm like, hey, what would Edie do? Or like, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so not to spoil where we're going to go in this conversation, but we had to do a lot of digging into the characters to figure out, you know, what are their stories really going to be about and what internal obstacle or each is each woman struggling with and things like that. So there was a lot of character work that went yeah, into you- it asked me some good questions that were really thought-provoking and I think added a lot of fullness and richness to both of the characters. And I don't know if I would have, you know, done it as well without you prompting and asking me those questions. All the tough questions (laughs) that probably Mm -hmm. kept you up at night sometimes. You're like, why is she asking me this? (laughs) Well worth it. Now it's all good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so, okay. So on that note, let me just give listeners kind of a highlight reel of the big picture timeline. Cause like you said, it's been quite a few years. So you, we met in April, 2022 and you had been working on it before that, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of, you were developing the ideas you had to gather kind of what does this timeline even look like or what could it look like? And then get that into some kind of order. And then at some point you were like, I need more help with this. So we met, we started working together. We spent some time working on an outline, which we'll talk about. Then by about October of that year, you had a finished draft. um, And then we went back through it and revised it. And then fast forward to about June of this year, uh, you were working with beta readers. So we had finished the second draft. We were working with beta readers. And then, like I said, October 5th was your published date. So you said three years, but all in all, in the draft we worked on together, it was just over a year, which is pretty exciting. Mm, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I'm so glad you you took notes with with all yeah. of those. Yeah. So I mean, it it's you know, it's and this is not an abnormal timeline either. And I like to say the months because other writers out there might be listening and thinking, God, I've been working on my draft for six months. What's wrong with me? And it's like nothing. Everybody takes you know, a while. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think, honestly, I spent maybe the first year writing a draft and then I finished it. I started the draft before I did an outline. So I did it backwards. And maybe that's when I realized, oh, I need some help. (laughs) Yes. And I know, so when we met, you had already been working with another coach and you guys had sorted kind of all the ideas. And then we really dove into more like, how do we build this into a story with structure? Yeah. And one of the things, if if we can dig into kind of the actual process, one of the things I said was, I think we might need to do dual point of view and dual timeline. And I remember you were like, I don't know about that. I was like, oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. Like, you were like, can we not? <laughs> the, the first draft that I wrote was in a linear timeline. And so my head was just so fixed in that timeline. And when you suggested it, I was like, oh my gosh. I said, well, you know, Savannah, I definitely trust you. Let me let me just think about this for a couple of days. And then at our next session, we'll talk about it. And then 
I, I think what happened is I said, you know what? I, I, I just trusted you. And if you felt that this story would best be told in a dual timeline, that I was putting my faith in your expertise. And I'm so glad that I did because I think the dual timeline was an excellent way to write the story. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And it's so funny because for listeners, I just want to explain why we did that because I think that's really interesting or I would like to hear that, you know. And one of the things we noticed as we were digging into your outline and the chronological version of the story you wrote is that each woman had a similar but different journey. So they were both kind of struggling with what does it mean to be a woman in this world in this time when you're not quite the typical woman or what society wants you to be. So it's like, how do we stay true to ourselves? How do we be a good mother or daughter and balance family and the stereotypical expectations versus what we truly feel? So that was a big indicator to us. Like we can show both women's journeys kind of overlapping each other and having one help answer questions that the other timeline raises. Mm -hmm. So like you were saying earlier, you know, a big question is how did it get this way? What happened? And that's kind of what little Edie in her timeline, she's, I'm not going to spoil anything, but the beginning of your book is kind of, she's looking at her mom's portrait going like, what happened? Like, how did we get this way? And and that's really what the story kind of answers from your perspective, which is fun. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, I and I know that like part of it, when we talked about the dual timeline, it's like, well, first I've been looking at it chronologically, so that feels scary, but also like that feels kind of difficult. And it was oh, a little yes. scary in that way too, right? Yes. And you had suggested a book that was done in dual timeline. So I I read that and I could understand, I guess the story kind of is, it, it's written and, and you know just kind of shown in a different way during a dual timeline. And I like it because it's kind of like a balancing act. Like it's like kind of having a, a ball and throwing it from one hand into the other. And it just creates this like fluidity and- yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the cool thing too, that we realized and we aimed for this, but it also worked out just naturally with their stories is that we were able to line up some of those key moments in their life where like one of them had, you know, something kind of devastating happen, and then the other one did. So it's like, we're taking the reader through a very specific emotional journey through two different timelines with two different women, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm I'm just so glad that I I said yes to it and um, <laughs> listen to your guidance because I'm really happy with the outcome of the story. Yeah, me too. I think it's it's awesome. So so then we went through the outline. Then you wrote a, a draft. Do you remember anything kind of significant or like any aha moments or hard moments as you were writing the new draft? Well, you know, I learned so much from your podcasts and. That's how I found you. And I knew that you were going to be the coach for me. And I'm so glad that, you know, when we connected and, and our, our timing could work and, and all of that and putting into action the things that you were talking about on the podcast were like kind of magical moments for me. I mean, some of the things that that stood out were like the five scene commandments. Mm-hmm. And I, I use those even when I'm reading a book now. and can't so unsee them. Yeah, exactly. So it's the inciting incident, the turning point, the crisis moment, the climax, and the resolution. And each scene really needs to have that to move the story forward. And there's other writer friends that I I have, authors that that I, you know, I speak with. 
And they didn't know about this. And I said, oh, you have to go listen to Savannah's podcast because there's so much good information there for writers. And that was one thing that is really like, that was an aha moment when like you see it when you take a, a chapter from a book and you you break it down and you can, you know, kind of extrapolate those five elements and you're like, wow. So that was really, really cool. Value shifts were another thing that were like very interesting to learn about and the different genre conventions. Yeah. And those things really come into play. So the specific type of story you are writing has certain value shifts that have to occur and like just different elements of the story. And, you know, I didn't know that before I worked with you. Yeah. um, Yeah. So those things really, really do matter to help, I think, make a quality book. And yeah, so I was was really (laughs) thankful for those aha moments. Yeah. And it's fun because I'm sure there are some listeners who are, they more identify being like a pantser where they like to not use these, you know, structural tools, Mm -hmm. at least when they're drafting. And, and I think what kind of what I hear you say is like, yes, we need to use these tools because they help us write a story, but also they, I would say they make it easier for the writer to write the story once you kind of internalize them. Do you agree or disagree? I, I agree. So the first draft I wrote, I had written without having heard your podcast. And so I wrote it pantsing. (laughs) And once we started to work together and, you know, implemented all of these tools, it made the second draft certainly much easier. And then we really, we broke down each scene. So, you know, my scenes were, you know, probably a little wishy-washy before, (laughs) but it became more concrete. And um, I saw you know, the shift in quality was was incredible. So these yeah. tools really, really do sharpen the writing for sure. Yeah. And so speaking of the second draft, because I like what you just said is that, you know, maybe things were a little wishy-washy, which again is totally normal because we only yeah. know as much as we can know at the stage where we're writing. But once yeah. you got to the end, and I remember we had a couple calls about like what, okay, so now we've written the story. What is it really about? Now, how do you feel about what you've written? And and you had so many ideas. I remember you're like, I think it's really going to be about this, you know? So you had written a version and then it just sharpened and kept sharpening mm-hmm. until it became what it is today. So, you know, and then I'm thinking of the listeners who are perfectionists. What would you say to somebody who's a perfectionist trying to use these tools to write a book? Well, I mean, nothing can ever be 100% perfect and we have to get as as close to what perfect could be in our work, I think. And I think writing is, an evolution. So each draft that I worked on was an evolution and it just helps to fine tune things. And you can, as I say, kill your darlings when you're working on consecutive drafts, you you kind of see what you can kind of pull out and things become clearer. You know, certain themes may stand out clearer and it's, it's really, it's, it's an evolution. And I think that Writers have to be patient with themselves and it's it's a process. And I admire anyone who could, you know, write a book in like say six to nine months because yeah. I certainly can't. And I I went at the pace that worked for me and I'm happy with my my final product. And so three years worked for me. And I, I had to spend a year on that first draft and even as sloppy as it was, it gave me something to start with. It was like the bones and it was like my framework. And from there... We kind of extrapolated things to formulate a little bit more concrete outline and then to, you know, go back and and rebuild a stronger second draft. And it helped immensely. 
Yeah. And I like what you said about little themes popping up because I know that that was definitely something that happened for you where you would be writing the scenes that we kind of had mapped out and we didn't really know you know, what things were going to rise to the surface and which ones were going to be less important than we thought or, or you know, things like that. And I remember there were times where, where you or I would say like, hey, you're kind of mentioning this a lot. Like, is this something we really want to talk about? And then it was like, yes, I really feel strongly about this. But mm-hmm. imagine if you had never gone past chapter three because you're so worried about it being perfect, you mm-hmm. would have never found all that stuff out. Yes, yeah, so. exactly. And you kind of have to move forward and then kind of go back and then move forward. And, and yeah. it, it has to be fluid. And I think it's one thing that you always said that this whole process is fluid. And I think writing in scenes as opposed to chapters is a little bit easier. So you could maybe like move things around and break them down maybe a little bit easier. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure if I'm, you know, so you're, clear. Yeah, you're, you got it. Okay. 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 But yeah, you know, I wrote in Scrivener and I would kind of like move the scenes around and we we definitely had to do that, especially the Jackie O scene. We were trying to find the perfect spot yeah. where but that she was uh she needed the right little niche in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's so funny. Now we always called that our problem child scene because we're like, we know it needs to be in here. We just don't know where it's gonna go yet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. Because she was such an important part of the story. She and Aristotle Onassis helped to finance the the renovation where her sister Lee was the one who was more like on the site and helping out because she was living in um, Montauk for the summer yeah. with her very handsome boyfriend, Peter Beard. So that was like a, an important scene for sure. But I, I think we we put her in the right place. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. And it's a, such a fun little Easter egg for anyone who's going to read the book that you'll, you'll, you'll get to see Jackie Onassis in there and some other fun people. So it's really yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay. So then after that, you did work with beta readers, right? And you got some feedback. What was that process like? Was it scary, exciting, mixture of both? For me, it was exciting. And again, like I, I, I took your advice on something, which was using the beta reading service called the Spun Yarn. And I don't know how long it took them, maybe 30, 30-ish days. I was pretty surprised. Um, and they have three beta readers from around the country. You kind of give them a little bit of background of what you are looking for in your beta reader, male, female, age group, type of genre that they would be reading. And they give a very comprehensive analysis back. How many pages was it, Savannah? Like, Oh, gosh. Um, it was 25, 27. It was, it was yeah, a lot. It was definitely over 20 for sure. It's yeah. And they have really charts and percentages. And, and then each, each uh, beta reader answered certain questions. And it was a tremendous help. So what we did is we took the areas that needed to be worked on some more. And one of them, I think, was feeling sympathy or empathy for Big Edie. So that's something that we kind of softened. We went back and we tackled any of the problem areas that they, you know, had suggested where they didn't maybe resonate with the character or had a question or thought that maybe this didn't seem realistic. So um, we, yeah, we went back to work after that. And that was a great tool. And I highly recommend that to any of your listeners out there. The Spun Yard was great. And it's so fun because at the time that this episode goes live, we will have just had Julie Taylor from The Spun Yarn on the podcast a few weeks ago, detailing that whole, you know, the whole process. So if you're listening to this in the future and you haven't heard that episode, you might want to go back and check it out. 
And also on the Spun Yarns website, they have um, an example re- feedback report yes. that you'll get. So you can mm-hmm. kind of see what we're talking about when we say, you know, that charts and graphs in 20 pages. <laughs> very helpful, like for me to look at. Yeah, for for sure. And um, I think it's a great service out there. And I didn't even know about it, but you did. So thank you yeah. for recommending it to me, Savannah. It was well, yeah. well worth it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's, you know, it's great because at that point, you and I were kind of like, we think this works. Like we both feel really good. We don't know what we can't see at this point because we're so close to it. So it was really great, like you said, to hear about how, you know, we were pretty close to getting it finalized. But then like there were a couple parts where it's like we needed to soften Big Edie and the beta readers told us that there, like you said, there was questions. And so it was Mm -hmm. the good thing is, is it wasn't like we had to do a whole overhaul of your draft. It was just like, this is working, but here's how to make it even better. Right, right. Exactly. And I think that you know, those comments that, that the beta readers suggested were definitely spot on. And like you said, we were just so close into it that we, we couldn't see these, you know, these little fine points that maybe needed to be tweaked. So, um, I think we went in and, you know, addressed each of those issues and, um, kind of softened where it needed and had clarification where it needed to be a little bit more. Um, so it was helpful for sure. And then what, in general, what's your relationship to feedback? Like just for listeners, You know, I know some people are kind of eager to have it and others are scared to get it. Where were you even Um, before we started working together? Definitely eager to get it. I'm always up for constructive criticism. And, (laughs) you know, when when you're writing something, I think it's important to get feedback because if you're living kind of in in a tunnel or a cave by yourself, just with your own thoughts on something, you have to be open to perspectives and I think getting information, whether you use it or not you know, it's up to you, but to hear a different perspective, I think is eye-opening, can only really help to strengthen uh, your story. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's so important to be open. And, you know, I think it does come down to getting the right people who are going to give you feedback because, you know, of course, there are people that can ruin the experience for us by being super negative. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Luckily, you went into it pretty open and then you had a good... um, Yeah, everything was, you know, was was a, a great experience. Thankfully, I mean, and the the beta readers uh, through Spun Yarn really, I think, sent, you know, constructive criticism. And, you know, one thing that I, I loved and actually brought me to tears, the three beta readers all said that the way that I wrote the death scenes was so touching and so spot on and so emotional. And that made me feel like validation, like as a writer to, I mean, that's what our stories want to do. We want to touch people's hearts. And right. um and that just brought like true validation to me. Well, what a great feeling too. It's like you, no matter what it is that has any kind of high emotion, you hope it comes across. Mm-hmm. And then to hear that not only did you do it, but you did it really well and really affected people. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when I wrote the, one of the scenes that the death scene, I was crying as I was writing it. No, I remember. You no, know, so emotional. Yeah. So, and then um, I read it and I kept putting comments like, this is such a gut punch. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was sad too. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we won't spoil any more of that for people who are going to read it. Uh, (laughs) So fast forward, then we worked with beta readers, we edited it, and then you worked with other editors and proofreaders to get that and cover designers to get that ready. And then your publish date was the 5th of October. So it's officially out in the world and we'll link to it and all that. But what made you decide to publish this on your own? I think 
my experience of self-publishing my first book went relatively smoothly. So I was I was pretty happy with that. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna gonna do it again. And I mean, I did think for a couple of times along the way, well, should I try to query an agent? And I'm like, well, I don't think so because the process takes so long. And I think another thing that was meaningful for me is I wanted to have ownership of my story. Yeah. I didn't want somebody else to pick my cover. I didn't want anyone else to change my sentences or my words or like this was like my baby. And I didn't yeah. want anyone else to to own it. And, you know, when you work with an agent and, you know, they send it out and if it gets, you know, picked up by a publishing company, they own it. So, you know, I think you can have a say in your cover design, but ultimately they make all the, I guess, the final decisions and you have to do your own marketing anyway. So I figured, you know what, like, I just want to keep this, it's near and dear to my heart. And, and I, I want to hold on to everything. Yeah. And like you said, you did have a nice experience with your first book. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Definitely. So, um, yeah. And this time what I did a little different is I, formatted it myself where my first book I had somebody help me format it. So what's really nice about formatting it, it yourself is that you can jump back on to KDP and if there's any typos or any changes that you need made, you can do them as opposed to having to reach back out to a formatter and you know having to to wait or to have to, you know, pay additional monies for that. And I've actually done that. So I had to go back on and and change one or two things and kind of reloaded it. So yeah, so it was a skill that was hard to learn. I'm not so tech savvy, but it was worth the learning curve. And I used a product called or a service called a Vellum. And you download it and you use it, you know, yourself. And um, yeah, there's definitely a learning curve, but it was good. I'm happy I did it. Now you know how to do it and you can use it for your next book, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And you know, I wanted to share with with you and your listeners, if there's anyone out there that has questions about self-publishing, I'm happy to answer questions and just to share, you know, the experience that that I had. Because it's it's tough. There's bumps along the road for sure. And I'm all about helping other people. So just wanted well, thank to thank you for that. And if, if listeners can't tell, Fern is the nicest person in the world. So <laughs> I'm sure you can hear it in her tone and her voice and her generosity. But yeah, she's one of the nicest humans ever. Um, but speaking of your future book, how do you feel like now that you've gone through your memoir, you've gone through this book about the Edies, how do you feel about the possibility of writing another book someday? Well, I have two in the back of my mind. One, I've kind of been going back and forth in dialogue with my son about. He wants to co-write with me. And then I have the original book that I wanted to start before Mahjong Mondays that is still like percolating in, in my mind. But I can't give up on, you know, on the EDs yet because I just launched it into the world. So I want right. to spend a good couple of months, you know, promoting it and um, getting the word out there. And that does, you know, take time. Marketing is uh, kind of, you know, labor intensive right. um, so or time intensive rather. So I do have my stories, you know, percolating in in my mind. So maybe in the next few months, I'll dive into one of them, probably the one with my son, because, you know, he'll be home for the summer and hopefully we'll get to spend some time. He goes to college. So we'll have some time uh, to develop maybe the outline a little bit more. Um, Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see, but, you know, writing, it takes a a lot. So, um, right. 
Yeah, I want to just a little break in between. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. And to focus on the EDs and yeah, you know, yeah the like ideas- I work, work so hard writing it. And I want to make sure that, you know, I give it the time to market it and get it out there. And, you know, I've been on a couple of podcasts and I'll be in a couple of magazines. So I want to give it the time to to get out there into the world. And I think that the time that we put into our endeavors in life, you know, really pays off. And so in a couple of months, I will definitely be diving back in and using everything that I've learned from you, Savannah, for sure. Yeah. That, well, that's what I was going to ask is like, do you feel more confident about starting something new or, you know? I absolutely feel so much more confident than I did even before reading, writing rather my, my first book. And, you know, working with different coaches, you learn different things, but I learned so much from you. And I hope that, you know, the listeners out there, you know, contemplating working with a coach will choose to do it because like, we don't know what we don't know. And there are so many tools that I learned from you. And I knew that you were going to be the coach that I wanted. And I waited to work with you. Um, I think, you know, I had to wait a couple of weeks to, for our first call, but I I knew it was going to be worth the wait. And I, I won't, write the next book alone either. <laughs> like I need to work with you. So like yeah. um I yeah, this it, it's a big endeavor. And although I learned a lot, I don't think that I'm feeling confident enough to go solo at at all. And I think to really write a good quality book, it helps to have coach. I, I totally. do that's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's even people are always surprised when I say like when I get to the point of needing to work with somebody, I'm definitely going to work with somebody, even though I'm a coach and an editor, because we can't yeah. see what we can't see in our own work. Right. And, exactly. And I yeah. think you know, uh, working with a developmental editor is, to me, is is essential. You know, right. it's because you, that's your bones of the book. Right. And if, if you don't get the structure and the framework down properly, it's, it's going to be on wobbly legs. And I think your expertise, you know, is really like focusing in on making that foundation as strong as it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with that. And um, it's kind of fun because I'm imagining now you have tools and it's now we can take the tools and the process you have and make it more efficient. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, I'm sure it's like a different feeling for you where before you were like, I don't even know how to do all this stuff. That's, and now you know how to do it, but we can improve the process around it. Yes, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. Yes. So I think that's really fun. And we're, we're going to post all the links to like your Instagram, your website, your book, and all the things in the show notes so that listeners can, you know, check out your books and also follow along on all the marketing things you're going to do because that will be fun and, you know, see the pictures of gray gardens and all that fun stuff. But any like final parting words of wisdom or anything you want to share with people who are wish they had a book finished like you do? Don't give up on your dreams. And, you know, just like, the Edies, they had dreams of their own. And I don't think anyone should put an age limit on a dream or the size of your dream. And if your dream is to write a book, you know, fulfill that dream and take your time, do it on your own timeline um, with the support around you that you can, you know, search for and find and feel a connection to work with because our dreams are so important in life. And for me, writing a book as I was dealing with cancer treatment, it was almost like a beacon of light for me. I mean, I was laying in bed for many months. And this is the one thing that like helped kind of get me through. Every day I was I was writing, even as tired as I was. And 
we still, you know, kept up our weekly meetings. And I think having goals is so important in our life and just, you know, write on and keep going and uh, just believe in yourself. And the title of my book is Staunch. And I think everyone listening is a staunch writer and just believe in yourself and don't give up. I love that. And I was going to say, this is like perfectly describing the vibe of the Edie's and the book you wrote about them because it's all about them following who they truly are and following their dreams despite everything else. And uh, you just perfectly captured it there. Thank you. Yeah. But okay, Fern, so it was super fun to sit down and talk about all this. I mean, we we have just wrapped up together not too long ago, but I'm, you know, I'm, I always love talking to you. I think you're going to inspire listeners and help oh, them take God. action. So thank you for sharing everything you did today. Oh, my pleasure. And I want to thank you for being such an amazing coach and developmental editor and helping me fulfill my dream to write a book and to honor the EDs. And thanks for your podcast, because I've learned so much, as I'm sure your listeners feel as well. And um, just keep doing what you're doing because you are helping us to be staunch writers. Oh, thank you. I love that. I love being part of the staunch club. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you, Fern. So tell everybody where we can find you and then we'll post that in the show notes. Um, But just let us know real quick. Okay. So on Facebook, I'm Fern Levitch Bernstein. And on Instagram, I'm Fern Bernstein Writes. And I have two podcasts, Gray Gardens and Maj on Mondays. And I think that's it for my social contacts. Yeah. Awesome. And we'll put all that in the show notes with your books and everything. But thank you so much for spending time with me today, Fern. And I can't wait to see all the marketing efforts and your pictures at Gray Gardens and all that. So good luck. And we'll have to have you back for the next book. I'd love that. Thank you so much, Savannah. Thank you. So that's it for today's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and for showing your support. If you want to check out any of the links I mentioned in this episode, you can find them in the show notes listed in the description of each episode inside your podcast player or at savannagilbo.com forward slash podcast. If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a rating and a review. Your ratings and reviews tell Apple that this is a podcast that's worth listening to. And in turn, your reviews will help this podcast get in front of more fiction writers just like you. And while you're there, go ahead and hit that follow button because there's going to be another brand new episode next week full of actionable tips, tools, and strategies to help you become a better writer. So I'll see you next week. And until then, happy writing.